do some hard work. That's just about every hand in the place. Just went up. Yep. And so what they end up doing is they collect their money from the doll. And I'm not having a go at anyone on the I've been on the doll before and it has a purpose. But you see, especially here in London, we have all these crops and all this work, but the farmers say they can't get anyone local just about to come and uh, pick their crops because the work's just too hard. Right? It's a bit of a it's a sad thing. And um, how many get frustrated by that? Yep. Awesome. I'm setting you up at the moment if you don't realise. <laughs> right? And um, it dawned on me during the last couple of weeks that, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes we become those people, right? That's scary because there's a harvest out there and a lot of us want to come just as though we're on the dole and come once a week and get paid or fed on a Sunday at church. But not too many of us want to go out and do the work. Ouch. Now he's like, oh, should I didn't put my hand up. <laughs> <laughs> Might sting a little bit, but, um, you know, like Paul said, godly sorrow produces repentance. You know, and there's a difference between condemnation and conviction, right? So if you feel pricked in your heart out of anything I'm saying, it's not because I'm angry or don't like or love any of you. It's because conviction will lead to repentance, which brings change, okay? And we know... You know, it's why it's not us it's in general, the body of Christ does not share their faith very often, right? And so my, my goal is to bring a conviction, even if it makes you a little bit sad. You know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians saying, I'm sorry I made you sad, but sorry, not sorry. You know, because your sorrow brought a godly repentance and repentance brings change. And so my goal today is that there be conviction that will lead to repentance that we would turn from not preaching the gospel or sharing our faith and go out and, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a, a doll watching bride. That, that was actually, I never get titles for my message, but God gave me a title for this and it was, Are You Gainfully Employed, A Doll Watching Bride? Ouch. Like, like Todd White says, if the shoe fits, kick it off. Right? So I want to share biblically that Jesus had the same the same issue, just so I've got some something credible to back up what I'm saying. If you want to follow with me, I'm going to have a look at uh, John 4:32. Now this is just after Jesus has been speaking to the woman of the well. All right, and the disciples had gone off to get him and themselves some food. Right, Jesus stayed. Most of you will know that Jesus stayed at the well and ends up words of knowledge for this Samaritan lady and in an awkward situation because culturally he shouldn't be speaking to her and a lot of us don't want to go and share the gospel because it's culturally very awkward, right? But no one ever said that, that being a Christian was going to be comfortable, right? Jesus said he'll send the comforter and sometimes we're looking for more Holy Ghost and he's waiting for us to get more uncomfortable so he can send the Holy Ghost. But we want to be we want to be like the doll bludgers sometimes and just come to church on Sunday and get fed and we want Holy Spirit to come and we don't want to go and do any work. We're not earning it. But the Holy Spirit's there for a purpose as well, right? So, anyway, the disciples return and they, they were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? 
Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. So there's a, there's a heap in here. So obviously they had a saying saying, okay, the harvest isn't for another four months. Does that sound familiar in church talk? Next year there's going to be a great revival and harvest. And so we just turn up to church every Sunday and do the same thing, waiting for it to magically, people start spilling into the buildings. And then the next year ticks around. Does this sound familiar to anyone? And then the next year. Next year there's going to be a great harvest and there's going to be a revival. We keep doing the same thing. And we wonder why. Jesus is saying to them, stop being ignorant and thinking that the harvest is for a later date. Look up and look at the harvest, it's white. Now, for the harvest to be white, let's see if I took a screenshot of this so I can... I didn't. White for harvest actually means that uh, the harvest is overripe, right? So even from these days when Jesus was talking to the disciples, he's saying the harvest is so ripe, when it, like from a scientific point, if you look it up on the net, it'll actually say when it's turning a tinge white, an off-white color, it means it's in danger of um, being lost. So you've got to go and pick it, this harvest, before you lose it. And so Jesus is saying to them, he's, he's correcting where they're looking and when they're looking. He's saying, look now, the harvest is ripe, white for harvest. It's about to be lost unless people go out and start bringing it in. Can you imagine how upset the farmer would be around here? Lucky they've got the backpackers who are willing to go and do it. Can you imagine just in the natural someone who's gone to all this trouble of planting this crop and tended it and cared for it and loves it, even just the fruit, right? Imagine, imagine their anguish if not a single person would be willing to go and pick a uh, apple off the tree or whatever you want, a macadamia around here or some sugar cane, right? Imagine if no one would go and do it and it just they just sat and watched it rock. In the natural, you would just be like, what's wrong with you people? And sometimes we make up excuses and say, oh, we don't have any, anything prepared yet. We don't have a big enough storehouse, a big enough church to bring all the people if they get saved. So we make excuses and we push it off for a later date. Right? Yes, this is a big building, Jim just said. Plenty of room. Right? Or we don't have the structures. We've got to build our nets and make sure we don't lose any. But... If in the natural the harvest was about to be lost, do you think they would be worried about whether they had a big enough building to put, store the fruit in? They would just say, go, pick, take whatever you can, as quick as you can, bring it into your house and store it for us, look after it for us. Right? That sounds like biblical Acts-type Christianity to me. That means from house to house, everyone can disciple someone. Everyone's capable of going and reaching someone, yeah? And the harvest comes in so much quicker if, you know, if we were to go and pick a pumpkin field, me on my own, it's going to, you know, it would be rotten before I could finish picking it. But if we all went out and just got one, it'd be done in an instant. Yeah? He talks about having food to eat that they know nothing about. So, because he, he says after this, he says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. 
what are the wages? The wages is the satisfaction of doing God's will. He says, I have food to eat you know nothing about. Every time I do the will of the Father, I sit down to a feast. Right? The wages is the satisfaction of doing the work of the gospel. And uh, I hear people all the time that are dissatisfied in Christianity and they're just going through the motions. Kind of like a, you know, you look at people, please don't take offence if you're on the dole and not having a go. I know it has a purpose. I'm talking about the people who abuse the system. You know, but you see these people who cycle year after year in family histories of just they go through the doll and that's it. There's no purpose and they're miserable. And I see Christians sometimes and they complain we have no purpose, we don't know what to do, and we're just going through the motions from week to week. And if you realise that your purpose was to go heal the sick, cast out demons, preach the gospel, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, Freely you've received, freely give. In whatever vocation you're in, if that was your purpose, I'm telling you, you would not be um, you would not be in, in in board Christianity. You know, there's a guy who says, Todd McCollum, he says, evangelism is the cure to the disease of church boredom. Yeah, it's an exciting life. I didn't sign up to um, when I was out in the world and I was into drugs and crazy stuff. It was because it was exciting. I didn't sign up to something less exciting. I, I signed up to something that's over the top more exciting than that. Right? I was attracted to the wild life that it was exciting. It was a rush. Right? And so often we enter into Christianity and then it becomes this... <laughs> Where's the excitement? We come, you know, we come from Sunday to Sunday expecting to get it here, which we should do. But if we're not living it from... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you're never going to be satisfied. Right? Because we're satisfying God's will in doing this. It's His will to reach the lost. And so when we do His will, we find purpose and we find satisfaction. So, I'm going to turn to Matthew 9.32. Well known, we're out doing it so often that we we got a name for the Lord of 
I've seen people healed. All right? We need people to look at us, all of us, and go, hey, that's that person that prayed for that girl at the shopping centre behind the counter and they got healed. Or, you know, had some crazy word of knowledge and it spoke to that person's heart and they started crying and they received Jesus. Like, this is what we need. And doesn't stop there, it says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. This is what it looked like for Jesus to go about doing the Father's business, doing his will, right? He did lots of nice things, but all the things that are mostly recorded are supernatural things so that it's on... It, it can't be back on us, it's got to be on God, right? Because bringing people... You know, culturally, if you just come up to people and start telling them, they're going to say, hey, yeah, yeah, it's not interested. We've got to preach the gospel and we've got, it's got to be backed up with power. Because that's the way that Jesus did it. It's not our job to make it happen, it's just our job to be obedient and, and lay hands on the sick. Preach the gospel. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That sound familiar? It's like some of the farmers in Bundy are saying, we've got all these crops, but no one wants to come and pick them for us. Verse 38, therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Beseech is a very strong word. In fact, I don't know of it being, correct me if I'm wrong, anyone, but I don't know of it being used in context of the Lord asking people to pray to him in the New Testament context, in any other verse other than this. This is probably the strongest language of the Lord telling people, urging people to pray. Beseech, if you look it up in the Strongs, actually means to beg. That's because Jesus is begging and coming back through us, wanting us to beg him. Not beg him as in, with an orphan spirit, but beg him as in urgency, pleading. We need, because he is pleading with us. He's saying urgently, please, Go out in the harvest. Please send out, pray for more harvesters to go. Because every day people are slipping into health. Right? There is an urgency. Right? In, in Judges 6.14, Gideon is uh, in the threshing wheat in the wine press. And so it's kind of to do with the harvest. He's doing it in a... He's scared and afraid, so he's trying to... Is you could, could say that he's trying to bring in the harvest in the wrong place. And sometimes we, we tend to come and hide in, inside four walls and, and, and pray for the harvest to come to us. And God's saying, get out of your wine press and go. And what did he say to Gideon? He said, go in this your strength. The first thing he said to him was, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then later on he says, go in this your strength. What's his strength? The strength is that the Lord is with him. Yeah? The Lord is with you, and you, and you, and you, all of us, right? The problem is the go part. He had to say to Gideon, go in all your strength, right? Mighty man of valor, and Gideon goes on to say, well, I'm the weakest, and I'm the most despised, and my family's the least in the kingdom, and who am I to do this? And uh, that was exactly what I said when I felt in my heart to go on into the harvest field and, and reach the lost side. I was like, well, I... I, haven't, I would have social anxiety, I'd have panic attacks, I could, uh, my biggest fear was public speaking. I'd want to throw up to just share in front of a, a home group, let alone this. 
let alone approach a bunch of people in a shopping centre and start doing the most culturally awkward thing that we could possibly do, share the gospel. Right? But he said to Gideon, go in this your strength. So if you recognise that you have the strength of the Lord in your heart, you can go. But he's not going to kick you out the door. You have to choose to do it. Right? Although that, that's kind of what I'm praying will happen today, is that, that the Lord will forcefully eject people out into the harvest. Right? That word, uh, therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field, is actually to forcefully eject, to force out. Right? It's kind of like these, some of the young people we see that just want to abuse the Centrelink system. Some of us want to just force them out and say, get out there and <laughs> get a job. Right? And sometimes the Lord's the same with us because we're reluctant. But he's saying it in love because he wants you to know that you're a son and you're a daughter and you can do it. And it's the same as the young people we see on the dolls. not because we hate them, it's because we want them to have a purpose, we want them to have a life. Right? And it's the same in the body of Christ. We, I want everyone to have a purpose and to have a life and to be fulfilled in the call of the gospel. Right? And there's an urgency to bring in the lost. If we're believing that these we're living in what's the beginning of the last days, then um, yeah. Matthew ten seven says This is Jesus speaking. It says and as you go, see this word go just keeps popping up everywhere. Go. First two letters of the gospel are go. And you know, before I go there, you know it's funny that he used Gideon the most weak and despised and because I feel exactly the same way, but he uses people like us that were nothings and he uses the weak and despised things to bring glory to himself. Because if I was full of, if I was an extrovert and bold naturally and um, just found it really easy to go and do this, then it doesn't really matter if I come and tell you guys to do it, right? Because I find it easy. So if you're sitting there going, well, that's easy for you, you're an extrovert. Well, it's good God used the weak and despised. Me. Right? To prove that anyone can do it. To take the excuse away from everyone. It leaves everyone without an excuse. Because I'd sit in the car thinking I'm going to go and talk to that person that I'd see cross over the street, shaking and trembling, and I'd go in my fear and trembling and stutter my words and make an absolute fool of myself. Right? And for a couple of years, I didn't see any fruit. I didn't see anyone saved. I didn't see anyone healed, delivered, or anything. Right? But I was obedient. And even as I remember the first person, the first stranger that I spoke to and shared the Lord with, with trembling and stuttering and making a mess of it, nothing in the natural seemed to happen afterwards. But I was elated, right? Because I found satisfaction in doing the will of my Father. Just like Jesus says, I have food to eat you know nothing about. It doesn't matter what fruit comes when you do it. It's about being obedient. So the satisfaction comes from being obedient to the call of God. Right? God's the one who does the miracles, not us. He's giving you a pat on the back for being obedient, not to do a miracle which he's performed through you anyway. Is this okay? Do you still love me? <laughs> uh, Mark 16, I'm just giving you a few scriptures to back up what I'm talking about. Mark 16, 15. Jesus again after the, after the resurrection. 
go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Sometimes we're waiting to feel led of the Lord to speak to someone. Or a big sign in the sky to say it's time to talk to that person. Or Jesus already said go into all the world and preach to all creation. So, just sort of, I'm just trying to nip all these excuses in the butt so no one can has any excuse but to, to go and preach the gospel. Right? It says, He who has believed and has been baptised shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I don't have time to go into too many testimonies because I've got a bit to get through, but after a couple of years of just being obedient, doing this and looking like a fool, we're now seeing this happen on a weekly basis almost, I'd say. Almost every week we're seeing people healed on the streets, uh, demons cast out of people, people being saved, people being baptised regularly now. You know, he's faithful, he'll do it. you just got to go. You know, God's looking for workmen. One of the translations for workmen in the gospel is someone who propagates Christianity in the hearts of men. Right? So he's looking for people that will plant a seed. Plant a seed of the gospel. Right? Workmen work at cultivating Christianity in other people. shares about purpose, I've heard him say people looking for direction in their life saying I don't know what to do and Bill Johnson's reply you know they say they don't know whether they would need to be a nurse or a school teacher and he says well pick one and as you go preach the gospel, heal the sick cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons yeah that's our main vocation we have to know him first of all and love him with all our heart and then as far as I'm concerned the next most important is to make him known to those around So I want to, want to make it a little bit easier for those of you who are feeling like I just don't know what to do, it's too hard. I'll take the pressure off you a little bit. I was just saying that all we have to do is plant a seed. But I want to show you the power of a seed. If you want to follow with me, Colossians 1, 5 to 6. Thank you, Jesus. Actually, I need to read this one in the Amplified. Amplified, amplified something. So, <laughs> so this may read different in yours, but I, I, I like the, the little in brackets part in the amplified. Okay, uh, because of the hope of experiencing what is laid up, reserved, and waiting for you in heaven. Of this hope you heard in the past in the message of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you. Indeed, in the whole world, that gospel is bearing fruit and is still growing, now in mine it has in brackets, by its own inherent power, even as it has done among yourselves ever since the day you first heard and came to know and understand the grace of God in truth. Right, so it says that it's in the whole world that gospel is bearing fruit and is still growing by its own inherent power. Now, something has its own inherent power, do you need to worry about making it happen? No. If you stick a seed in the ground, in the, in the soil to plant it, do you go home and then worrying about whether it's going to grow and produce fruit? 
Now you just make sure that it gets watered and it gets the care that it needs, but it grows by itself, doesn't it? Just like God makes the gospel grow. So the gospel is like a seed that has its own power source. The Holy Spirit is the power source of the gospel. So when we're going out and we're reaching the lost, literally all God's asking for us, of us, is to go and plant a seed. Tell someone the gospel. Right? And let it do the work. So we don't have to try and get them in a headlock and get them to make a decision. We just have to plant the gospel. And sometimes we'll get to bring in a harvest of a crop and sometimes we're just sowing a seed and sometimes we're watering someone else's seed. But our job is just to go and do it. And let God bring the increase. Does that take the pressure off? Because a lot of times people think, oh, what if I pray for someone and it doesn't happen or this or that? Well, that doesn't matter. Just be obedient and let the gospel work. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Yeah? He's got it all stitched up. We're going to go to the parable of the talents. I've got a couple more to get through quickly and we'll be done. That's uh, Matthew 25. I've got a bit to read through, so I'll try and, try and listen quickly. Parable of the talents. Uh, it's talking about the, the kingdom. For it is just like a man who, oh, sorry, it's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him, and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. And from the one who does not have even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to put it to you to just picture things like this for a moment. I'm not saying this is necessarily what this talent represents, but the Lord showed it to me this way a few weeks ago and uh, it's been messing with me ever since. And so now I'm going to let it mess with you. Uh, I want you to imagine for a moment that that talent represents the gospel. Imagine 
One day you stand before the Lord and he demands an increase for the gospel that he's given you. Let that just sink in for a minute. Imagine standing before the Lord on, on the day that you appear before him and you're judged according to the works and deeds that you've done in the body, right? And I also believe the deeds that we haven't done. Because the word says, if you know the good thing that you ought to do and don't, do not do it, then it's sin for you, right? So I think we'll be judged for also what we haven't done that we knew was right to do. Right? It says, when, when did we see you and not off and, um, and not do this for you to Jesus? You know, when did we see you and not offer you a cup of water? When did we see you and not feed you? And Jesus says, whenever you did it to the least of these. Whenever you didn't do it to the least of these. So they're being judged for things they hadn't done. Right? Now I know we're going to be judged according to righteousness. But I also want to receive the reward of the wages of of the harvest, right? I don't, I don't want to, you know, W.E. Sangster says, he's a, a famous preacher from back in the day, he says, how shall I feel at the judgment if multitudes of missed opportunities pass by me in full review and all of my excuses prove to be disguises of my own cowardice and pride? I'm speaking to myself here. I repent almost every day for not preaching to people. But what I wanted to do is make it lift your eyes to see, because when we're ignorant to the fact that there's a harvest falling to the ground around us, we're not thinking about it, right? If you if you buy a red car, you see red cars, red cars everywhere all of a sudden. And if you, you're suddenly aware that every person is an opportunity and a soul, then suddenly you become aware of them and you start thinking about it. Right? So... Like you said, imagine realising that all of our excuses were nothing but disguises for our own cowardice and pride. Because it's really self-preservation when you boil it down. That's what stopped me, was I don't want to look like an idiot in front of these people. It's culturally awkward to share the gospel, and so I make up and build all these excuses on top of each other. Some of our excuses are so tightly worked together that... <laughs> yeah, right? But it's really... Just protecting our flesh, which we're meant to be no longer living, but Christ lives in us, right? And, and Christ is not bound by pride, he's not bound by keeping up appearances, right? He's not scared of men. So part of our putting to death the misdeeds of the flesh is to put to death our pride and our wanting to keep appearances in front of people and not look like a fool, right? The way it's put to death is by you sitting in the car trembling and not wanting to go and talk to that person, then you open the door and you get out and you go and do it and look like an idiot. And after you do that long enough, you end up dying to that more and more and more. And you start getting crazy and you go and running up to groups of people because you want to see them, because you're happy to, right? God destroyed this fear of man thing in me. I run up, I stopped a basketball game the other day to preach the gospel to them. I was driving along, this is not to glorify myself, I told you I was the weak and despised thing and I still remember where I came from, right? But I was driving along at work, eating a meat pie, and saw a, was probably 10 people on the basketball court at Nelson's playing basketball, and I was like, mm, I couldn't be bothered, being honest. Kept driving, and then I had the words of something I'd preached the week before go through my head, and I went, mm. see, conviction. And some of you guys are going to remember things that I've said today, in the weeks to come, when you normally wouldn't even think about it, and that's going to bring conviction 
And instead of missing the opportunity, you're going to put your flesh to death and you're going to go and you're going to say, hey, excuse me, I want to let you know that there's a hope and a, a future for you. Jesus loves you so much. He paid the price that, that you could never pay so that you could live a life that you didn't deserve to have. Right? Or you might start smaller and just say, hey, I just want to let you know Jesus loves you very much. And you might say it was stuttering, but it's okay, God is clapping. Yeah? And so I, pulled, I went out and stopped, they were in mid-game, and I stopped them, had them all gathered around and literally preached the gospel to them and shared my testimony. No one got to say nothing. There was no, but I planted the seed, right? Four or five years ago, I would have been on the verge of throwing up at the thought of doing that. And it was easy because he's, I'm constantly putting the, the flesh to death, right? I'm making every, every opportunity that you take and you do it. That thing, that pride, that wanting to protect the flesh just dies a little bit more. Until you find, and I'm not there yet, but I'm a lot deader in that area than I used to be. And I know it's God's will for us all to, to get there. So going back to the parable, just think about that. The, the guy that buried the talent. Are you burying the gospel? Because sometimes we're, it's in us and it wants out and we're, we bury the gospel by And on that day, are you going to be able to show him the fruit of the gospel that he gave you? Because he's already said that it works by itself. And he, he said to this guy, why didn't you, you lazy, wicked servant, why didn't you put it in the bank and it would have gained interest? Right? Because if you deposit the gospel in someone, it's going to produce something by itself so that we're all without excuse. All we have to do is deposit it and let it work. Just like you put money in the bank and you automatically generate interest. Very easy. We don't have to sit there and worry about the interest being generated. The gospel works exactly the same way. It produces and bears fruit unto itself. One more parable. Matthew 20. Oh, look at that. I've got my favourite bookmark. Okay. Labourers in the vineyard. Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. When he agreed, had agreed with the labourers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. Excuse me. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did the same. The same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? All day long. They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You too go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the labourers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. 
When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, and born to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go, but, I'll, but I wish to give this to the last man, the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first shall be last. A couple of things I want to touch on here. Okay, there were people at the 11th hour of the day that were hired. I'm guessing they worked 12 hours. So right in the final hour of the day, he's gone out and found people that have been standing idle doing nothing all day and said, come and work, right? And for some of you, you might feel like you were in the 11th hour. Maybe you're in your, maybe you're elderly. I'm not going to put a time uh, age bracket on that, right? Maybe you're in the older age bracket and you feel like you're in the 11th hour and off. How could I work? Well, Jesus said to them, it's the 11th hour of the day, come into the, into the vineyard, right? And he's saying to some of you, you're in the 11th hour because we're in the last days and we probably are in the, the 11th hour, right? If we were in the last days, I heard someone say it earlier this year, if we're in the last days and it was the last days when Jesus spoke these things, he said we're in the last days, right? We must be in the final minute of the final hour as far as history. Right? So for some of you, it's the 11th hour and he's saying, you're not done. Like Tim was saying, the generations, you're not done. Nothing's stopping you. Even if you've been idle all day, maybe you're saying, I'm in my 80s or 90s and I've never preached the gospel to anyone. No better time to start then. Right? Amen. Jesus said to those, it was the 11th hour of the day and they've been standing around doing nothing all day. He said, come and work. Right? As long as you have breath in your lungs and you're able to speak. If you can't speak, you can write it on a piece of paper. Right? Eddie here preaches the gospel. Nothing stopping him preaching the gospel, hey, mate? Amen. Amen. <laughs> right? So, just like, uh, it, I, I feel like today's a little bit like an employment agency. And, um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the, the people that are in unemployment end up going on to something called work for the dollar for a period of time. So it's, uh, it's time to go and earn ages that uh, go and earn wages for eternal life, right? Yep. Go and reap the reward. Thank you, Jesus. I want to finish with one more quote. There's a guy called Pen. I don't know if this is how you pronounce it. Pen Gillette. Gillette. I don't know. Right. One final ouch moment. How much do you have to how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? That means to go and share your faith, for those who don't know. How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Now get this. If that's not ouchy enough as it is, the guy who that quote is from is an atheist. Even the atheists are able to recognise that if you're a Christian and you believe eternal life is possible, if you're not telling people, what's wrong with you? Do you hate them? That's what they're thinking about us. Right? That's scary. If even the atheists can see that. Man. And I know we don't hate people, we love people. 
And what needs to happen is we need to push through the fear of man and all these different things that have been piled upon us, right? And so hopefully I've broken a few excuses and, and the Lord wants to force some of you out into the harvest today. And, and we don't want to just have you go and now thinking, well, how do I do this thing? Right, so we're going to, uh, we're going to be doing weekly, we're going to plant an outreach team again. We had one running, it sort of went by the wayside. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be planting an outreach team as part of Restoration Centre that will regularly go out together. And we'll be doing weekly training, okay? So if this is resonating and you're sitting there saying, well, yeah, I, I feel convicted, I need to do this. Uh, you know, Matt the Bell, where's Matt? He'll be up the front after he's got a piece of paper or a book and he'll jot down your name and number, get your details and we'll keep you in the loop if you're interested in saying, okay, well, where do I start? How do I learn how to share my faith? And we're going to go weekly. We'll have a, a training meeting where we'll give you practical teaching on what does it look like to actually do it, right? And then we'll take you out uh, the following week or whatever it is and we're going to go and do it, right? And we're going to start sowing gospel seeds and, and reaching the lost his glory. Amen. Amen. So, thanks, Jim. I do want to give an opportunity to respond today. You know, many many of you have have given your life to Jesus, but you haven't necessarily given your life to the gospel, right? Maybe you've given your life to the Lord, but you haven't given your life to the cause of Christ, which is to reach the lost. And like I said, there's no better, age doesn't matter, vocation doesn't matter. There's no better time than this to start bringing in what is probably going to be the, the last, you know, it's the end time harvest. There's, going to, there's, a, there's a lot to come in and the window of opportunity is narrow. We don't know whether it's 10 years or 100 years, but the window of time is definitely narrowing. Can we agree on that? Yeah, we've only got to look at the news. Just don't look for too long because it's not what we want to feast our eyes on. Yeah. Right? If that's you and you saying, yep, I'm going to be honest and real with myself. I don't know where to start and I might be scared and afraid to do it, but I want to make a decision to start sharing my faith. I need to reach the lost. I'm going to, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward and just make a response to that to the Lord. I pray for you. I also want to give opportunity. I know I haven't preached necessarily towards salvation today, but I don't want to ever miss an opportunity. If you are in this place and you do not know Jesus, maybe you've been coming to church for your whole life, but you have never actually given your life to the Lord. And a good way to tell is if you're stuck in sin and bondage, that you've not been able to break perpetual sin. And you feel like maybe I don't, don't actually know the Lord. Even if you've been coming to church and you're like, maybe I've actually never given my life to Him. Or you just want assurance of that. Or if you've never, ever given your life to the Lord. I want to make opportunity for that too. Right? He died. He took the punishment that you deserve for the sin, for all of our sins. The sins of the world, right? Laid down His life for all of us. He was whipped, beaten, bloodied and broken. His beard was torn out. Right? took the punishment that we deserved so that we could have eternal life so we could be free from sin so that we could be free from oppression so we could walk in love and in his light and his peace peace that surpasses understanding 
and that we would have eternal life and that you can start this adventure that I've just been talking about. There's only one aspect of, of life with the Lord. So if that's you, I'm going to get, if, if you're wanting to respond to the Lord and give your life to the Lord, I'm going to ask you to come and I'll get Jackson or Georgie or someone to meet you down this corner and anyone else. So if you're wanting to give your life to the Lord today, please come down this corner and Georgie or Jason will be standing here to talk to you. Anyone else, if you're feeling you want to respond to that and you're saying, yes, that's me, count me in, I'm going to dive into this thing. I just want to make space for you come forward and uh, see what the Lord wants to do. And also if you're wanting prayer in general, if you've got pain in your body, if you need healing of any sort, uh, feel free to come forward as well. Hope that encouraged some of you guys. I hope you still